I'm Petrus and welcome to Worldview. Worldview is a podcast where we explore everyone's perspectives on all things that can broaden our worldview. If you've watched some of our content so far and liked it, please consider liking this video, subscribing and donating on Patreon. Today we're, taking, we're talking with Nick Kuenhoff. Nick has served for 27 years in Parliament, being a national representative through some of South Africa's most turbulent and interesting times. In his tenure, he has served as a member of numerous committees, such as the Constitutional Review Committee and the Committee of Finance. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Petrus. Well, I just want to know, um, because I've, I've, I've given a brief uh, you know, uh, intro on your 27 years of service um, uh, in the parliament, but could you perhaps just give us a brief rundown of your political career and what parties specifically you were involved on uh, uh, in the specific times? Yes, uh, Petrus, I was elected in still in the old South Africa in 1987 for the constituency Swellendam. That was a rural constituency. And it was wonderful, you know, to, to serve in the old South Africa. But obviously, we all know it was not a democratic uh, uh, parliament. And then in 89, there was another election. I participated in that was re-elected and sent back to parliament. And then everything started to change. You know, P.W. Boota resigned. F.W. de Klerk was, was elected the new leader of the National Party. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate to be in there in parliament on the 2nd of February, 1990. And, you know, then the new South Africa was starting to dawn upon us. I was part of the... Uh, Secretariat. So I, I was a little bit involved, you know, traveling to all corners of South Africa to see how South Africans respond to the challenge, you know, to have a, a new constitution or at that stage, an interim constitution. So I was fortunate to be re-elected in 1994 for the National Party. I served then in the first democratic elected parliament under the uh, the guidance and leadership of, of Nelson Mandela, what a privilege. And then I was removed from parliament. I joined the Western Cape government and I was MEC for education. And then at that stage, you know, the new elections were coming up. And for me, it was important. There were too many, you know, um, opposition parties and, and my my feeling at that stage was that we must cooperate as a national party. We had a new leader at that time. Remember, F.W. de Klerk, you know, resigned. Martinez von Skalkwijk was elected. And, you know, he was elected basically to close down the national party because there was no room for a party like the national party in the new South Africa. But he had other ideas at that stage. And uh, I convinced in the provincial cabinet to support me that we will work with the, at that stage, the Democratic Party, so that we can see whether we can definitely win the Western Cape and the Northern Cape. Well, unfortunately, the leadership in the National Party was against us and me at that stage. And then I had to take a very difficult decision to uh, vacate and resign my position as MEC. That was not easy to do it, but I had to do it to focus, you know, the minds of many people to see that, you know, if we can't convince the National Party, you know, to, to close down themselves, then the forces of, of, of elections must do it. And history will tell you that I then joined, I was invited by Tony Leon, 
I then joined the, uh, the uh, Democratic Party. I was out in the wilderness for a while, but then I was elected, you know, on their list. And um, I became then the uh, MEC for health in the West Cape. But two years later, less than two years later, in my statement, you know, when I, when, when I left the National Party, I had agreement with Tony that I will work towards a joint uh, um, opposition. And uh, as you know, the Democratic Alliance were formed, the National Party joined forces with the Democratic Party and the DA as today, it's history now what happened. There were one election during the municipal elections. And you know, I think I have achieved what I want to achieve before the election. I had to do it in a, in a very different way you know, to, and it was not easy leaving the National Party. It was my friends and my, my colleagues at that stage. But, you know, I had to do it. I believed I did the right thing at that time. And then Martinez left the DA, broke up the DA. He joined the ANC and the Western Cape government then fell. Tony returned me back to Parliament. And towards the end of that term, I was feeling, Nick, you know, you are losing your honest energy in parliament, in politics. So it's not time to do something else. Then I left parliament. Maybe with hindsight, politics is in my blood. I think I made a mistake to leave, but I left. And for five years, I was completely out of politics. I went back to, to trying to be a, a lawyer. I started the Red River Network that was very active on HIV and AIDS. But nevertheless, I was out for five years. And then we had the turbulent times in the ANC. Um, as President Zuma were elected, Tabo Mbeki were resigned at that time. And then suddenly, you know, Mosia Lakota left and, and you've seen, you know, the start of COPE. I remember in, in, in November, I had a phone call from Mosia Lakota and said, Nick, what are you doing now? I said, well, I'm out of politics. He said, you must come and help me. You know, and I contemplated that, and then I joined COPE, and you know, what a journey it was, you know, to be part of basically a party that could have been a new party for South Africa. And it was a fantastic time, you know, to run up to the elections. I was, I was elected, and then I served as COPE. COPE was destroyed, you know, you want to ask me probably later about that, but COPE was destroyed because of a leadership battle between um, Monsieur Lakota and Sam Salova. Nothing was left of that party. We all know the history. I think they've got two or three members in parliament or one now. Or, um, so it was unfortunate. And towards the end of that term, the ANC approached COPE and Tozamile Bota was my... Uh, was my chief whip. And then the ANC offered three positions to cope on their list. And they've just done the assessment of their, their members of parliament. I was lucky to be on the top three list for cope and I was offered the position. Now that was a difficult decision mm. because, you know, it's suddenly to, to, to tell your community, family, you know, that, that you're joining the ANC, you know, ANC was seen as the enemy, mm. but I did that. You know, I, I just felt I had to do it. You know, white South Africans, especially Afrikaans-speaking South Africans, must be seen to join a dominant black party, you know, that brought basically freedom to South Africa. 
I did it, but I never went into hiding, you know. I, I, I remain in my community, you know. I was still a member of the church council. I was very active in my community, you know. I, I'm fortunate to have a little farm in Hootspride. I was very active in a very, very rural, maybe some people will say conservative area of South Africa, but I was embraced by them. So, so yes, that was my party's, that was mm. my political career. It's, 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 it's an extremely interesting uh, political career, having been part of, I almost want to say, some of the most turbulent and formative times of South African politics. And then, of course, not being just, you know, the opposition to that or fixed with one party during that time, but actually going with the flow in terms of how the different things changed. Um, and with regards to that and working towards the different parties, uh, each with a new hope, um, you know, the, the, the NP at the end of their, um, their political lifetime, uh, the DA, which was a new hope at that point in time with the combination thereof, and of course, COPE as the, as the possible main um, opposition that's not just simply the DA as a classical opposition. Um, it's, it's all extremely um, involved in the political landscape at that point in time. But some people might see um, switching between the different parties as a type of uh, political uh, opportunism. Um, I, I wanted to know how much do you think is required or important that you don't necessarily always just try and be the opposition to whoever is in control, but that you sometimes might even have to work with them to achieve the goals that you would have normally in the opposition? Or rather, why would you, how would you respond to the criticism of political opportunism? Well, I, I think it's fair criticism. You know, obviously, people don't like politicians and they don't like politicians when they think they're opportunistic to join just for their own sake. You know, I don't think I did that. You know, I left the MEC position and that is a prime position in anyone's political career. And then, you know, I eventually I was just let and I got that feeling, you know, that I must eventually join the ANC, you know. Politics were in a flux after 1994. Our right. constitution allows us to join other parties. That was taken out of the constitution, but, but all proportional representation systems all over the world allows members of parliament to join. I'm very much in favor of that because that's the only way if your party goes off what they were telling the electorate during an, an election, if they go off, the only way you can do, you can resign. And many people don't have the means to resign. Mm. In terms of that clause in the constitution, it was able to leave your party and to make a statement. But that is not possible. You remember at that time, I think Ruf Meyer left. He was the chief negotiator. He left. Mm. He formed UDM with Bantu Olomisa and many others left. There were lots of people, the whole national party, some of them left for the DA and some of them left for the, for the ANC. So it was a little yeah. bit of time when it was done. But fair criticism, and I'm telling you, I've had it. I've had it from my friends. I've had it from my I family. So, yeah. so, so, but I, I took it on the chin and I think it was fair. But in the end, if I reflect, I think it was the right thing to do. Okay, okay. And, and in terms of uh, coming to a new party with different ideas, especially if you're able to switch between them and, and embrace new ideas, how exactly are you, how exactly do you deal when you're confronted with um, a different party mentality entirely than what you were used to? How, how do you do that adjustment period? Do you have to go with the flow? Do you have to learn everything? Or, or exactly how does, how does integrating with a new party work? 
Well, you know, obviously I, I had a learning curve in COPE. You right. know, COPE was, like, was called the sort of uh, uh, Coke light or ANC light, you know. <laughs> so, so, yes, yes. I, I had my fair share of, of debate. COPE was also, you know, um, I came from a Christian Democratic valued party, briefly into the Democratic Party who was liberal. I was never liberal. And I, I don't think, I, you know, liberal parties got a problem in South Africa, unfortunately, to convince the majority to, to, to support it. But that's another debate. But, 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 you know, social, I think I'm a social democrat. So COPE was a social democratic movement. And so is the ANC. You won't find it in the constitution of the ANC. The ANC do not pick sides with regard to social democracy or, or any yeah. other, you know, liberal democracy like other parties do. But, yeah. but basically, you know, I think it's a social democratic party. For me, it was easy to adapt. You know, I think there's okay. an open debate in the ANC, in their study groups, you know, if you want to voice, you can open your your voice and 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 they will they will entertain your your opinion right. um, in the end if you lose it unfortunately you follow the party line that's how politics work not only for us but for many other parties in parliament mm -hmm. You also mentioned that it's important for white South Africans to be seen working with the ANC uh, in terms of to achieve new goals. Um, you said something quite similar in a recent News 24 article uh, where you said that a white South Africans sh should play more collective role uh, with fellow South Africans. Um, could you perhaps briefly explain uh, what you mean by that in terms of do you feel that it is partly white people's responsibility that um, our other communities in South Africa was not able to achieve as much as they could have? Well, you know, the white community is a minority. Mm. And, and, you know, unfortunately, they were in control during apartheid. So, so if you can't be in control, and there was no ways that the white minority will ever be in control again. So if you can't be in control, you know, you must try to be influential. Mm. And um, the way you do it, you can either join the party and you do it through party structures, or you work together, you know, outside the party and, and see what you can do to make South Africa, you know, a better place. I, my plea, that was in fact my last uh, speech in parliament, but my plea at that time was that South Africans were drifting away in their own little WhatsApp groups. They were drifting away, you know, in South Africa, if you only listen to Radio Sonder Grense, and if you only watching cake net and if you're only going on ski holidays and you're only going to shopping centers and restaurants in in white controlled suburbs yeah. you can still think you in in a majority yeah and you know sometimes they think that it's possible to win and to control south africa again that that's over it will never ever again happen again so my feeling is that that especially white Afrikaners were drifting to be too negative. They were becoming too right wing. They were, you know, really whipping emotions up, you know, in terms mm. of their little WhatsApp groups. And they were drifting, you know, as as someone that is not making a difference. Afri Forum, maybe you know, is proving that if you work together and if you're positive and if you start looking 
at things you can do to make it better for your community, it can work. Mm. But, you know, this state's Afrik Forum is not a political party. So right. my plea, my plea in, in that speech was that it is time, I called it the Mandela moment for, for Afrikaners, it was their time to give at least one of their votes to Ramaphosa right. to show goodwill from my community towards Ramaphosa, not necessarily the ANC, because I realize that will be difficult to do, but to do it for Ramaphosa, well, and history will tell you, it was the most white votes ever mm. given in an, on a national ballot for the ANC during that election. So I think there was a little bit of a feeling. There was a history towards that. And I think my community was really trying to give Ramaphosa a chance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He was he was reported by a lot of moderates in, in all political parties as a type of a, a new hope for South Africa in terms of a moderate uh, government controlled um, uh, parliament or, or cabinet rather. Um, so, you know, he's he's been in power for a couple of years now. Uh, there, there was a ton of expectations, obviously, being the new hope um, from a lot of different people in South Africa. Uh, do, do you feel like he's lived up to the expectations, given the, the constraints or, or difficulty that he has? Or is he generally seen as a, as a disappointment in your political perspective? Yeah, well, you know, I, he took over during a very difficult time towards mm. the last term of President Zuma. You know, he was sort of forced out, you know, yeah. and re and then he made the fantastic Tumamina speech. And, mm. you know, he picked out, he picked up South Africans out of that black hole of depression. And there was suddenly hope in South Africa after that speech. Everybody is Ramaphoria. You know, it was just <laughs> time to be in parliament, you know, and suddenly you were proud of your president. So, yes, and then the election came. Um, I, I, I think... I, I, I was expecting a little bit more from Ramaphosa. You know, mm. I must say it was difficult for him trying to, con to, to keep control within the ANC. Mm. It was a formidable camp against him at Nasrak. You know, he won with not many votes. Yeah. And it was a hard contested battle. He got the wrong uh, secretary general voted mm. in at that party. So it was making very difficult for him. So he had to calm down the party and run a, a messed up government or South Africa that he inherited. Now many people say he was the deputy president. Deputy presidents play different roles all over the world, even in this country. And he was also putting his eyes on the presidency. So he was not there to rock the boat so that he don't mm. get the boat, said Nasrin. So it was a mm. difficult time for him to be deputy president. Yes, I would like Ramaphosa to be normally presidents do not micromanage. Yeah. But I would have loved him to micromanage a little bit more in South Africa. You know, yeah. it's sad that our schooling system is not working after so many years. That's inexcusable. And, mm. and I would have loved him to micromanage that and make absolutely sure schools are working. There's mm. no excuse for that. There is no excuse that local governments do not work. And yeah. I would have loved to see Ramaphosa make, micromanage that and make absolutely sure that local governments get back on track and works. And, you know, so, so that is definitely criticism for me. Mm. I mm. think finances in South Africa is very important. I, if he says something and Tutu Mubeni, Mubeni backs him up, 
I don't want any one of his cabinet ministers or anyone within the ANC, especially the, the SG, to mm. talk different, you know. And, mm. and then if they do, he must be strong. He must act mm. like a leader. So, mm. yes, I was expecting a little bit more. Maybe I will see that, you know, I'm an optimist. Yeah. But I think on certain aspects he can do better. Okay. Do you think that uh, starting uh, at the beginning of his term, he basically just, when, when people had expectations of him, because I feel like the general consensus is people expect a little bit more. Do, do you think that perhaps at the start of his term, he first had to consolidate his, um, his position within the party uh, due to the extremely contentious position that he was in when he was voted in? And that's why he wasn't able to achieve and that to the later part of his terms, we'll be able to see more progress. Is, is that type of a realistic expectation? Yeah, well, you know, that's politics. You know, right. you cannot eat, you cannot be the leader if you don't have the control. If you don't control the NEC, the NEC of the ANC, you're mm. in trouble. If your cabinet is really not behind you, you know, you're in trouble. You know, um, never ever the caucus of the ANC was was in, 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 in a strong position, but they emerged to, to play a role when we have seen the caucus telling President Zuma, if you don't resign by this afternoon, we will vote against you in Parliament. So suddenly, yeah. the caucus in Parliament becomes important. So it was important for, for the President Ramaphosa to, to, to trying to get most of them to support him. I think right. he was successful. I hmm. think he was successful. There is still those battles and we will, we will still see them but, you know, I think he was fairly successful and hopefully the NPA will a little bit assist him, you know, to get rid of some of those uh, implicated members of his leadership. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, given given your extremely interesting uh, uh and time in parliament um do you perhaps have some uh, mo notable moments or stories to share uh from the inside for example i know that you were in parliament during the time of the um vote of no confidence for for president zuma um did you vote against him and what was the reaction like afterwards the rumor is that he was furious um is that true yeah well let me start with that one he was not in parliament you know that day oh, so i okay not see so I, I cannot, obviously, I think he was not happy, but yeah. nevertheless, you know, I, I, you know, he was not leaving parliament, storming out of parliament. He was not there during mm. the vote. Yes, you know, I had fantastic moments in my career. You know, I think, you know, 2nd of February to sit there and listen to F.W. de Klerk was a momentous moment for any yeah. South African, you know, to be there. I think to be to serve under the new democratic parliament in 1994 was also fantastic. But another fantastic thing was, was really, I was behind the scenes trying to convince the then speaker Mabete to allow a secret ballot, you know, for us in parliament. And it was touch and go. And I must mm -hmm. comment her that eventually she, she, she took the decision. I don't think the president Zuma was happy with her, but she took the no. decision to allow a secret ballot. You know, and that was a fantastic moment in Parliament. It, it, it happened. Everybody was quiet. Everybody was getting to the ballot boxes. You know, it was quiet. There were no riots in Parliament. You know, basically outside Parliament, South Africans were quiet. There were right. no, there were nothing happening during that time. 
And for me, it was a fantastic feeling to do that and to participate that. And obviously, yes, I voted against President Zuma for that election. And, you know, mm. for me, it was, it, you know, it's, it's never easy to broke, you know, the line of your party. It doesn't matter. Mm. But, you know, in this case, you know, it was important for me to make, you know, that statement. Mm. There's also a, a couple of different cases where um, your constituency specifically um, is heavily against some of the policies that the ANC are currently, um, you know, arguing about or not arguing about rather uh, working with other parties to get a compromise for. Uh, one of these is, of course, um, expropriation without compensation as one of the most hotly debated um, uh, topics or, or, or points of contention within the ANC and specifically the EFF and other parties as well. Um, wh what exactly is your opinion uh, of, of that bill, of the various bills, actually the constitutional bill and the um, other bills? Well, you know, uh, let me say expropriation without compensation become a little bit of a, a bloated political statement. Right. right. And, you know, I think let's focus on the expropriation <laughs> bill that will soon go to the committee and then we'll go eventually to parliament. You know, if you listen to Professor Elmine Duplessis, you know, she is fairly happy with that bill. Now, now all governments do have ex expropriation legislation. We've had it. We've misused it during apartheid, you know, in, in South Africa. All governments must have it. So it's not, we're not unique to have an right. expropriation bill. The good thing about that bill is that we're not talking about expropriation without compensation. We're talking about expropriation where you can expropriate with a null value. Now, the, the legal meaning of that is if you're not happy with that null value, you can now go to court. Mm. Now, obviously, people say it becomes expensive to go to courts, but then so many, you know, civil society and, 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 and foundations that will always come to your, to your help and, and assist you with regard to, to those court cases. But yes, I, I personally think the expropriation bill is a good bill. It's, it, it probably means that Parliament will not carry on with the amendment of the Constitution. It's probably not necessary. Mm, okay. And, and the amendment of the Constitution is specifically uh, the worst part? Or what do you mean by they won't well, carry on with it? Is it a good or a bad thing? No. Well, you know, because the expropriation bill is telling us what will happen. now, And, okay. you know... The only part was clause 25, you know, to make, to, to, to make it. Everybody was saying, telling, I was on that committee as well, traveling through South Africa. Everybody was saying to us, you know, it's already there. You've got the legal means to do what you want to do. The expropriation bill shows us now. It may be challenged, but, you know, I doubt that. Um, but, but the expropriation bill is telling us now that you can do it. Constitution allows you to do it. And that means there is no reason to change Clause 25. Right, right. Uh, we, we also had um, an interview with uh, Tien Stoffberg, the former um, uh, Springbok captain. Um, in, and in one of our most uh, debated topics uh, on one of our podcasts, he talked about the quota system uh, for rugby. Um, and how it's been affecting the players in some sense that some of the players have um, this reaction where they don't feel like they're deserving of the role or they feel like they're constantly being judged because they're simply just a quota player. Uh, we have something similar in terms of our uh, socioeconomic scenario with uh, BEE. 
um, in terms of why where some employees feel like they haven't been chosen because of the best for the role and they're admired for their skills, but rather just to fill some sort of requirement. Uh, Tien Stoffberg said uh, regarding the quota system and rugby that there was definitely a time uh, where this was necessary and it's good that it existed, but now it's time for that to change uh, to allow uh, people to be judged on their merit rather than you know their skin color. Uh, what exactly is your opinion on BEE and does it perhaps go along the same lines or is it something completely different? Well, you know, BEE, it is different. You know, when you, it's it's unfortunately different to sport. You know, it yeah, must be different. But BEE, you know, when it was introduced, I think it was, <coughs> it was really time to allow black South Africans who were basically outside the white controlled economy to allow them in. So... So I think there was definitely a, a, a need for that. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you know, BE should e evolve. You know, it cannot be stagnant. Yeah. It can be, you know, always the same. And uh, we have seen some some misuses with within, you know, BE. You know, fronting that is outlawed. Now you cannot do fronting, but but fronting was it was a terrible thing. There's still certain people that will do BEE just for the case to do business with the state, and they will never meet their new shareholders. They will never meet their directors, and BEE cannot only be a transfer of shares or a transfer of money. It must be the transfer of skills, and you know if you do that. That is the very way to uplift, you know, your fellow black South Africans so that they can become powerful and basically on their own become leaders in the field of, of economy and business. So, yes, BEE is with us and BEE will remain with us for a while, but it doesn't mean that we, we should look at that, have an open mind on it and make sure that it, that it, that it brings to black South Africa what it should and not only to a few elite. Right. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, going back uh, to COPE specifically, you mentioned uh, that the, the demise of, of COPE uh, where the party was dismantled was mainly due to a leadership battle. Um, so if, if that was the reason why COPE uh, dismantled or, or, or became rather irrelevant in the, in the political scene, um, let me rather pose a question in the other way saying, do you think that it was possible that COPE could have survived if some sort of compromise was um, organized between the leaders? Do you think that would have been the saving grace or were there other structural issues that would have caused the, the, the party's demise anyhow? No, well, you know, I think if there was no leadership battle, unfortunately that battle started before the election when when Bumu yeah. Tondale was suddenly introduced <laughs> by the Shalova camp you know, as the presidential candidate for COPE. And, you know, you will remember then Musia Lokota, who was basically the face of COPE. You know, he then decided not to join us in Parliament in caucus. He made a mistake. And um, then the battle was there. The battle was there for the first conference that will elect now the new leader of COPE. Shalova was definitely in that race. And, you know, he wrecked that first conference that conference yeah. was ended by a court case. So unfortunately, mm. no. If you have leadership battles, if you're a small party, the ANC can afford leadership battles. They're right. a big, broad church. They can afford it. Um, they will lose a little bit of votes, but they can afford it. 
Opposition parties cannot afford. They cannot afford leadership battles. We've seen it in the DA. We've seen it in the National Party. That was their own demise. And Cope was not different. And it was different because Cope was ANC light. It was the majority. They got lots of other votes from South Africans. But if they could have let Cope, that would have been the, the new middle ground social democratic movement for South Africa and could have made a huge difference in the realignment of politics. We failed. Right, right, right. So if, if you say that COPE was uh, the middle ground um, of, of South African politics, specifically within the ANC, uh, which faction do you think uh, will, will lead or will attain supremacy in this ANC in the coming future? Um, there's, there's opinions that it could be the Magashule, um faction which has been you know in terms of being reported and, and and public perception is seen as a very corrupt faction or it could be the middle ground or the moderate one which is led by Ramaphosa if, if, if that's a future has that you know that the effort he put in to regain power within uh, the ANC party has that solidified for the future or do you think that's also just very much still in the in the balance well you know in politics you know anything is not secure but right. I think right Rosa Camp will, will definitely, you know, win this battle. I think he has gained ground, you know, in the various structures of the ANC. I think he's got the majority support of, of his caucus and definitely, you know, his cabinet is, is supporting him. I think he's got, you know, the fellow South Africans, the, the rank and file outside is, is supporting him. So I think Ramaphosa will win eventually. The NPA, if the NPA is starting to do their job, you know, they might just assist him with regard to get rid of, 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 of the compromised leadership who is in the Makashula himself mm. will definitely be, you know, in the, in the target for, of the NPA. So that is going to be difficult for them really to, uh, to, 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 to win that battle. You know, they will be, you know, if we, we wait for the Zondo Commission's report now, uh, my only concern is that the NPA will be overloaded. You know, there's so many things on their table yet coming from Zondo. We've seen the corruption in the uh, COVID PPE, uh, yeah. you know, that loaded onto their table. So what I would love to see is uh, President Ramaphosa micromanaging here again, not only appointing a good leader, for the NPA, but make sure there's good enough money. And mm -hmm. also, if possible, you know, trying to get, you know, the private sector to assist the NPA more, the legal structures of the private sector, so that we can see an efficient NPA in a way they can do their job and let's see justice. That's what South Africans wants to see. And also, you, you mentioned that um, uh, Ramaphosa will have to micromanage a lot in, in, in order to make a significant progress in reaching his goals and reaching the goals of very uh, a lot of the moderate people within the ANC. Um, but micromanaging requires a lot of attention. And I think there's so many things that Ramaphosa needs to give attention to that um, he can only pick a few that he can actually effectively micromanage. Do, don't you feel that he should have some support and, and, and somebody he can trust with the same type of authority as him? And if so, who would you recommend that person be if you have someone in mind? Well, you know, I, you know, his presidency, you know, I think he can use his presidency, you know, to appoint the right consultants to us to assist him there. That's a possibility. 
I, I, I think, you know, he missed an opportunity. His cabinet for me is, is too big. You know, he had too many, mm. definitely too many deputy ministers. He should have left them in parliament to, to make parliament a little bit stronger. Uh, he, he should have been maybe a little bit more careful in picking his cabinet because that becomes vital if you wants to micromanage. You know, micromanage doesn't mean, you know, you go down and do the job. But at mm-hmm. least you call in your ministers, you know, on a very regular basis and you tell them I'm not happy with what's going on in Bloemfontein or in Kronstadt yeah. Or, yeah. or in the rural Northern Cape, you know. I've just been there. You know, what is going on? What can we do? Can we take, you know, uh, can we start working with civil society in those little towns? You know, with the agricultural societies and not only allow it to our comrades and cadres to, you know, to run the municipality. Let's convince them to to put out a hand and, and ask for guidance and assistance. Then maybe, you know, there's a possibility that we can um, make these little towns different. Right. Or run that- there's also a sentiment uh, among uh, rural South Africans, uh, South Africans that aren't necessarily as educated in terms of how politics work, that the cabinet chosen by the president is more a type of a scenario where those that um, enable him to do what needs to be done to those that those that put him in power gets rewarded with a cabinet position. Um, that that obviously uh, you know alludes to a lot of corruption, and it's something that very much would like to be rooted out within the ANC. But if it's if it's required by anybody in the party to be able to do something that uh, is better for South Africa, um, this almost feels like a type of a you know I don't want to say a necessary evil, but an evil that they simply have to. Um, uh, run with to able to achieve anything. Um, do you think that there will be a situation where uh, this mentality is broken off and where the legal system able to crack down on corruption to a degree that the president um, will be actually be able to do what he needs to do without resorting to these means? Well, you know, well, obviously, you know, when you appoint a cabinet, you you reward those who assisted you. You know, right. that is all over the world the same. Yeah. But, you know, maybe, maybe he could have said, you know, 30% of cabinet, you know, I will look towards, you know, other people. Um, mm. so, you see, the problem in politics is um, President Ramaphosa missed the opportunity. His list that he sent to Parliament was probably a hostile list. It was okay. crafted and influenced by the Secretary General. That's right. why we've seen not so many minorities for the first time ever, you mm. know, uh, on the list being sent back, you know, to uh, to represent the African National Congress. So, so you start there. You make absolutely sure those you send to Parliament will give you an opportunity to pick the best cabinet. I think he missed yeah. that opportunity, and you know, then he had to work with what he've got. They right. are capable people in that cabinet. They, I think, they can do it. But then, you know, sometimes. Uh, the president must knock more on the doors of some of the ministers and say, mm. I want to see better progress. Right. I mean, you're, you're a self-professed uh, optimist. Um, and in that regard, I'm assuming that if I ask if you believe in the future or what do you believe in the future that holds for South Africa, you'd um, hopefully say it's something positive and, and, and uh, you know, uplifting for South Africans in terms of what we'd like the country to go towards. Uh, but specifically, what perhaps are your predictions uh, for the political scene in South Africa, especially going into the next election, which is only in a couple of years? Well, you know, obviously the municipal elections is coming up now, you know, if yeah. COVID 
to do that. I think it's going to be a difficult election for the ANC, like the previous one. Mm. Uh, people show their hand easily in municipal elect- elections. Whether other political parties will do better, I'm also in doubt. I, mm. see, I, I really think other political parties is also a little bit in trouble. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting municipal elections. Eventually, I think the ANC will still get a majority vote, you know, or more than 50%. But they're going to struggle. It's not going to be easy. Coming up, the next election, if President Ramaphosa can sort out, you know, the camp that is against him, you know, we hear many rumors that they say he will not complete this term. I, mm. I'm very doubtful about that. I think he's a very crafty, clever uh, personality. He is a good president. There's nobody who can run this country better than him. He can do do better, but there's definitely no one better than him at this stage. So I, my feeling is that he, he will go into a new election, he will complete his term, and he will probably win that election comfortably. So, so yes, we're going to stick with the ANC. We can probably hopefully stick with President Ramaphosa for another term. That's why it is so important for, for us who are in a minority to be more positive, to pick mm. what we can do, you know, to pick stuff if, and, and put our shoulder and our knowledge towards that so that we can make a difference. And there are many, many issues. You know, there, there's so many opportunities that my generation never had, that the new generation is having now in Africa, now in the rest of the world. South Africans is making their mark all over the world. In yeah. my time, I was not even allowed to travel, you know, mm. or to compete internationally. So, yes, mm. there are opportunities, but then you must really start to be more positive. You must not concentrate of, on, on negative views all the time. You must forget about this dream to have an independent Western Cape and the mm. dream to have, you know, political power again as, as a white minority. Forget about that. Work with your fellow South Africans. You know, um, there's many of them who will work with you and uh, who are not politicians. The majority of South Africans, black or white, are not politicians. They're mm. good, hardworking, loving South Africans. Mm. I mean, you, you briefly mentioned um, stuff like the independence movement in uh, the Western Cape. And uh, I, I think in, in one of our previous uh, interviews, I mentioned that we have uh, more political parties than colors on a smarty box type of scenario it's it's you know everybody has some niche that they're trying to create in the form of political party and then get people to vote for um do you think in terms of specifically voting for um not only the municipal municipal elections but the national elections as well that the vote will kind of dissipate to hundreds of smaller parties to a point where either the opposition um or even the 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 vote in of itself the majority vote will be dissipated through a bunch of small ones or will people just give up because everybody's simply voting for smaller ones or the anc and therefore there isn't really hope so we'll see voter participation decline um in terms of you know a, a negative perspective that might be but just you know, what do you think in terms of how votes will go for the future well you know i think it's sometimes you know they always say politicians are only there for their self-interest but i think voters do right. so 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 if you live in a province that are governed well, if you live in a city that are governed well, it's in your interest to make sure that you return those who are governing it. So I, I think, you know, you've got the inside track if you're in power. 
And it, it all depends whether you can really get your voters to queue again and vote for you. That's going to be the challenge for the Democratic Alliance if they want to win again in Cape Town and, you know, the province. They have to get their voters to queue for them. And they have to convince other people it's in their interest to vote in a good government. That's why I would love to see the ANC running Limpopo better, running the Northern Cape better. You know, it's not only in the interest of the citizens of those provinces, but it's eventually in the interest of that political party too, to make mm. sure that it governs well. Mm-hmm. Um, going on a different tangent entirely, uh, we're very happy to see that you're uh, well, uh, feeling better again. Uh, I heard that you had COVID uh, earlier, I think it was last year um, or perhaps this year. But um, we'd just like to know in terms of an experience, there's been so you know, conflicting different reports on what having COVID has been like. You know, some people have a very mild reaction. Some people have an incredibly intense reaction. In your specific experience, what was it like having COVID and having to deal with that situation? Well, you know, probably, Pietras, I'm, I'm, I'm probably lucky to be alive. Right. You know, I was dropped, you know, on Christmas Eve, late in the afternoon, struggling to get a hospital bed. Mm. And my, my oxygen in my blood were around 50, it should be above 90 when I was was allowed into the hospital. So it was a difficult time. I went straight into ICU for (laughs) almost two weeks. I had a fantastic doctor and, you know, um, the, you know, I, everybody, you know, looking after all of us, I said they were like angels, you know, coming down from heaven and doing a very difficult job, exposing themselves, you know, to the virus. And uh, that was for me the real South Africa. You know, all races were, were, were in where I was lying and all races were looking after me. That was the real South Africa, working with one goal to make sure that I leave that place, a healthy man. And mm-hmm. luckily they succeeded. Um, it, was, um, it was a difficult time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was eventually for 17 days in, in I left on the 18th of January, it was like Christmas and New Year was was not meant for me for this year. But mm. it is, it's difficult if I was unfortunate to get uh, COVID pneumonia. Mm. If you get that, it becomes a very serious disease. Yeah. And um, yes, avoid it. Mm. Avoid it. Wear your mask. Get, you know... Get yourself to do social distancing. Definitely mm. avoid crowds um, mm. and make sure that you don't, don't spread it or get it. It is not an easy disease. Mm. But the glory must go, you know, to those health workers who work every day, 12 hours a day, to, to, to see that we live. That was a fantastic testimony for me. There's, 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 been, there's been a couple of examples in history of, uh, you know, natural disasters and pandemics and such that, that really brought um, the world and the people closer together, made them, you know, forget their, um, their divisions and so on and so forth to work together towards uh, a common goal. And I feel like probably in the scenarios where, you know, emergency workers um, have, you know, been thrust in this position, which is unprecedented, at least for my generation, um, to say the very least. Uh, it's 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 wonderful and, and so thankful to have these people. But in terms of the general populace, there's almost always a scenario in which this uh, somewhat gets uh, politicized, especially when government funding um, and goals are, are you know involved. 
what do you think um, enables a country or a people specifically to get past their political um, you know, affiliations and politicizing uh, something like a natural disaster or a pandemic, which has no political orientation you know, by definition? Um, what helps get past that and make people focus on the bigger picture um, rather than dividing us, which, which seems to be happening more and more? Yeah, well, it happened in America big time. Exactly, you know, it, yeah. It happened probably in, in, in all democracies. Uh, you know, even in, 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 in the Netherlands, you know, we have seen people reacting to that. I think it's normal. You know, you get fatigue. You right. know, you, you, we, 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 we basically not, you know, animals and we, yeah. we want to our own freedom sometimes. <laughs> you know, yes, I don't think it should politicized. But yeah. if you... If you if you hand down corruption of COVID PPEs, you know, on a plate to opposition, you know, really, you yeah. will be in serious trouble, you know, to think that you're gonna, you know, escape that. So that yeah. was bad. So if yeah. that it that that was terrible of government and of yeah. whoever runs that, it was terrible yeah. of those in those positions. And I hope they've catch them all and I hope they send them to jail and at least I hope they get some of that 13 billion back. Yeah. That was terrible. You know, yeah. while other people are prepared to give their lives, the health workers and in the clinical, yeah. you know, in the clinics of South Africa, then other people were only in this to enrich themselves. Terrible, terrible example. Yeah. And yeah, it was not good. It it was it was terrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's so fantastic to see um, that at least people in terms of emergency situations and health workers to be really uh, focused on improving um, uh, the life for so many people and saving so many lives. Um, you know, it's been absolutely, absolutely wonderful to talk to you. Uh, we appreciate so much uh, taking the time and um, coming to chat to us. If there's anything else you wanted to lastly add, uh, please, is uh, your chance. No, thank you very much for the opportunity. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm outside politics, so I'm a little bit freer. To, to say what what I think, but mm. thank you for the opportunity. I still believe in a country, and yeah. I think eventually um, with your generation doing what you're doing now and with the older wisdom of the older generation, we just might take hands and make this a great country again. Thank you so very much. We're, we're also, we also want to be optimistic. And, you know, it feels better to be optimistic. You have more energy, more will to stand up in the morning than constantly thinking about the bad stuff. Um, so in terms of that, I just want to say thank you to you and also to our viewers. If you've made it you know, thus far in the video, you most definitely have liked it. Um, if you know this message speaks to you and you want to share this with the many, as many people as possible in order to broaden their worldviews, please, by all means, it helps the channel. It helps perspectives. Uh, worldwide to to change if you share and like this video and so on and so forth. Um, of course, you know, nothing is for free. It also helps us out a lot in terms of um, equipment and time and management. So if you support us financially on, on the platform uh, Patreon, which is a monthly uh, donation site, everything will go towards building the channel. So once again, thank you so much for watching. This has been Worldview.